Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Um, welcome, everyone. Great to connect with you on this Sunday uh, morning for worship. For those of you who are new to our community and joining us on Facebook or on our newlife.nyc or on our YouTube page, uh, my name is uh, Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church. And what a joy it is to worship with you. Uh, we gather together every Sunday to exalt the name of Jesus and to uh, be transformed really by his love and by his grace and to offer that grace and love to the world around you. Now we are in a series through the book of Philippians and I'll return there in a moment, but I wanted to mention two very important things uh, for the life of our community. The first thing I want to talk about is our annual meeting. Uh, every June we have a week where we pause as a congregation to focus on what God has done in the previous year and what we anticipate God leading us into for the coming year. And we do it every first or second Sunday of June. We usually have food and a time of celebration, but obviously things are very different this year. But we're still having an annual kind of uh, meeting report. And so uh, this week, later this week, we're going to have a page on our website that's dedicated to what God has been doing in the previous year and what we, what we see God doing and leading us into in the coming year. And so it's going to be our 2019-2020 annual report. And so uh, we'll get you all that information, but I want to invite you to take about, it's about 20 to, uh, 25 to 30 minutes long. Take 25 to 30 minutes long this week and uh, watch those videos that we have so you can re be up to speed with what God is doing in our midst. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is about uh, the phase two uh, reopening update and uh, share some information about some adjustments that we're making as a community in light of the new information related to phase two. Now, on June 22nd, Phase two opened up in our city and in our state, which means that for houses of worship, uh, people can begin to gather in person with 25% uh, capacity in terms of what's, uh, what, you know, what we typically have in a room or what churches typically have that you can gather at 25%. And so here's some new information that's coming uh, your way, that starting July 19th, we will begin to gather again in person in a very limited way and in a very slow way. And I wanted to just say a couple of things uh, so that you can be up to speed with us here. And so we're going to start on July 19th, which means that we're going to open for Sunday worship. And we're going to have one service, the same service that we live stream is going to be at 10.30 a.m. And we're going to gather uh, in this room at 25 capacity. 25% capacity, which means there'll be invitations emailed. Where there's, there's a whole system, and you hear about it in an email and on social media as well. But 25% of this room, which holds about 500 people or so, uh, will be able to gather. There will be social distancing that will be maintained, of course. Uh, face masks are required in the building. We will be cleaning and disinfecting before, during, and after the services. And, of course, our live streaming will be available uh, online as well at every 1030 service on Sunday. And so more information is coming our way in the coming uh, days and in the coming weeks. But this is just a heads up to let you know uh, where things are going. And by God's grace and by uh, the social distancing that our city and our state has been doing for the most part. I've seen some people with, without a uh, mask at parks and all that there. But things have improved uh, dramatically in our city. And so we're seeing this as a kind of a beta test this summer. 
We're going to look at it as a means of uh, testing out best practices so that when the fall comes, we'll decide how we will move forward. And so see this summer, it's going to be about six weeks we're going to gather in this way. That's the other thing I need to mention. Six weeks we'll gather and we will kind of beta test best practices and then that will inform what we do in the fall. And so be praying for us. More information will come and uh, we'll gather uh, together beginning July 19th if all continues to go well. And I just want to say lastly, and you'll hear this as well, that as things, if things change in our city, we will make adjustments uh, very quickly as well. Amen. Okay. We're, flo- we're closing our series through the book of Philippians and we've covered a lot of ground In uh, nine weeks, this is our 10th week where we are focusing and closing out Paul's letter uh, to this church. And we have talked about a lot of things as it pertains to joy, the connection of joy and choosing joy in all seasons. We've talked about grace and peace and Paul's greetings and how it relates to joy. We've talked about the joy that comes as we advance the gospel. And as the, as the gospel advances, the joy that God wants to uh, produce in our souls. We talked about the joy that comes through unity, the joy that comes through service, the joy that comes through a proper uh, view of ambition, the joy that comes through gentleness, and the joy that comes through fixing our minds on particular things. Well, today we're going to be focusing on joy and contentment, and we're going to close our series out on this day. And Paul has some important words for us in this very familiar and famous passage of Scripture in Philippians 10, Philippians 4, verse 10 through verse 13. And so hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Most of us have memorized that as, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to focus on the connection between joy and contentment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of technology and the ways that we're able to gather together around this city and even around this world. Now, Lord, speak to us and may our lives be rooted in your love that joy may course through us and flow out of us to the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a confession to make to you on this day. My confession, very simply, is that I have become addicted to the game Animal Crossing. The game Animal Crossing. Yes, uh, I'm addicted. If there's anyone online, you can put in the chat. If you're addicted as well, don't let me be alone in my sin. Uh, Join me and just say, me too, or something like that. Uh, Animal Crossing is this Nintendo Switch video game And during the pandemic, this game came out and has been wildly popular. In the first six weeks of the pandemic, 13 million copies of this game was sold. 
People all over the world have been playing, and my family is no exception. Now, the nice thing about this game is that our family has, we have bonded nicely around this game. Strangely enough, at dinner time, we are talking to each other about the progress we're making in the game, the plans that we have for tomorrow. And my kids did pretty well in school, but boy, they're really good at this game. Now, I share a little bit about my own addiction in this area, not to lead you into sin, and you purchased that game and all that, but to explain what I'm learning about myself and how it connects to our text today. The goal of Animal Crossing is essentially to build a world on an island, and you're customizing your island, making it a reflection of your interests. And in the process of this island building, you always have an opportunity to expand, particularly expanding your house. You start off with a tent, and then you buy a house, and, and then you buy a house with a bigger room, and then two-room house, and a three-room house, and so on and so forth. And every time you pay off your home loan, the manager of the island, this sinner right there, a guy named Tom Nook, a money-hungry capitalist, <laughs> suddenly persuades you through his winsome, subtle ways into taking out another loan, into building yourself a bigger house. And every single time he offers me another option to expand, I can't help but to say yes to him. And as I've been thinking about this game and thinking about this text, I realize that this is a reality of our lives, that we believe that the goal of life is that bigger is better and that having more is a must. And in the process of trying to secure bigger and more, we find ourselves endlessly fixated, not on what we have, but what we don't have. And in so doing, our souls are exhausted, and our joy is compromised. Now, as we look at this passage today, I want to let you know that we all have this temptation inside of us to be discontent, discontent in a really negative sense of that word. And what I want you to hold on to is this truth, that the nurturing of contentment will largely determine your level of joy. The nurturing of contentment will largely determine your level of joy. Think about your life for a moment. Are you arranging your life in such a way where you are experiencing deep contentment? Now, very simply, contentment is this here. This is my definition of contentment. Contentment is living free from the lie that having, some, having more of something makes you something more. Contentment is living free from the lie that having more of something makes you something more. Now, when I talk about contentment, I'm not talking about complacency. Contentment is not about laziness. Contentment is not about refusing to stretch and try new things. Contentment is resisting this lie that having more of something makes you something more. 
Contentment happens when we resist this kind of sentence stem that says, when this happens, then I will be. That is a, 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 an endless cycle that we find ourselves in. When this happens, then I will be. When I, when I get this job, then I will be happy. Then you get the job and realize, no, no, I need another job. When, th- when I get this job, then I'll be happy. That is the lie of discontentment and the cycle that keeps us going over and over and over again. But contentment is living free from the lie that having more of something makes you something more. Now, you might ask, how do I know if I'm living a life of contentment? And I want to offer very three simple questions for you to do some inventory as we look into this text. Three simple questions about contentment. How much time do you spend complaining about what you have? How much time do you spend coveting what others have? How much time do you spend comparing your life to others? Three simple, powerful questions that get to the heart of our lives when they're not marked by contentment. When we pick up in our passage, Paul is closing his letter to this beloved community, to this church that he so loves and appreciates. I've mentioned in the past in this series that Paul is pretty grumpy as a, as a pastor, as, a, as an apostle. He writes strong words for people. But in this letter, it's known as the letter of joy. Paul loves this community because they've demonstrated so much love and generosity towards him. When Paul wrote this letter, it was a letter that was to document gratitude and let the church know how grateful he was for their financial support. This church financially supported Paul on his journey. When Paul couldn't pay his phone bill, the church helped him out. When Paul needed grocery money, the church helped him out. When Paul was in a hole, the church helped him out. And so Paul offers thanks for the ways that they helped. Now Paul says thank you, but in the process of saying thank you, he wants them to know something about his life in Christ and what his life in Christ means for them. And Paul talks about this connection between joy and contentment. Paul talks about how he's gotten to this place. And what Paul says in verse 10 is very instructive for us. Paul says in verse 10, I learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, when I first read this, I thought, well, that's Paul. He's a super Christian. Of course he's going to live that way. But then I focused on this one word here, the word learned. And I I meditated on that word learned, and it gave me a lot of hope. You see, Paul had to learn this, had to learn contentment, which probably means he probably failed at some point. Because to say he had to learn it meant that at some point he didn't know it. Now, we don't know the details about when he learned it, how long even it took for him to learn this, but make no mistake about it. Contentment doesn't just magically happen. You have to work at it. Contentment does not just magically appear. It's something you have to learn. You see, we are born into this world with an ability to be discontent, not to be content. Children are born into this world with this Notion of being discontent. Children always want more. I think my son's first word was more. Take any child to the toy store. No matter how many toys are at home, they are going to want more. 
And this is, the fact, this is not just for children. This is for us as well. We don't have to learn how to be discontent. That comes easily. But we have to learn how to be content. And this is a hard lesson for us all. As a pastor, I know what it's like to wrestle with discontentment. And again, contentment is living free from the lie that having more of something makes you something more. This happens every day for us. We believe if I just had this, then I would be more of something. And yet this is not the case. Now I want to nuance this a little bit. When I talk about wanting more, there are legitimate needs that we have. I'm not talking about wanting more of legitimate things. I'm not talking about people below the poverty line who said, I, I just want more simply to survive. You see, there's wanting more for survival, and then there's wanting more as an idol. Wanting more for the sake of wanting more. It reminds me of the third car that I purchased and what I learned about discontentment. The first car that I purchased was a 1989 Oldsmobile Royale. And I had saved some money. I went to my uncle. And I was looking for the nephew discount, and he didn't give it. And I bought this 1989 Oldsmobile Royale. And that thing broke down within about a month. And so I had to save some more money. And I did. And I heard that a brother in the church that I was attending was going to sell his car, a 1988 Nissan Sentra, a little box of a car, you know, one of those cars that you have to, you got to go this way and then you let it go there. That's how small the car was. And so I had saved some money and I was looking for the brother in Christ discount, didn't get it. And I paid for this car. And after a couple of months, the car just totally broke down. And so I saved some money. I was about to go off to college. I saved some more money and went on autotrader.com and saw a 1995 Nissan Altima, a black Nissan Altima. Looked really nice, wasn't damaged at all. Sure, it had 90,000 miles on it, but it was better than what I had. And so I, I paid the money, I had the car, and I was just so happy to be in my 1995 Nissan Altima. I hung a Puerto Rican boxing glove off the, 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 the mirror there. I drove with pride. I, I lowered the windows. I blasted music. I was feeling great about my 1995 Nissan Altima. Until one day, I got into a friend's car. And a friend, his uncle, had a Jaguar. And I looked from the outside and already started comparing and despairing. I looked at his car and thought, oh, that's, this, is, this, is, this is pretty nice. And he said, you want to come in? And I, I said, sure, I, I'll go in. And, and I came in and I sat down and the interior was just this soft leather. And I started thinking about how the fabric in my car was really awful now. And I sat down touching it. When, when the door closed, the lights just slowly dimmed off. And when I closed my car, the Nissan Altima, the lights just shut off just like that. When, when, he, when he drove and hit a pothole, uh, you didn't think, you didn't feel like you hit anything. But, but when, I, when I drove and I hit a pothole, I, I heard everything. And so I remember getting out of his car and walking to my car and kicking the car and kicking the tires. I hate this thing. And I wanted more. You see, there's, there's wanting more for, the, for, the, for survival and there's wanting more that becomes an idol. And for me, I recognize that it's just not with the car 
There are many things that come my way and maybe come your way as well that provide and produce this sense of discontentment in your soul. And so here's a question I want you to be thinking about. What are you attaching yourself to? What is that thing in your life where it's not just you simply wanting more, it is you, your heart is so fixed on it that your very identity is predicated upon it. This is what Paul is getting at when he talks about contentment. Now, for some of us, it is material things. We want a bigger home for the sake of just wanting a bigger home. Or greater title for the sake of just having a greater title. As a pastor, I know what it's like to want a bigger church for the sake of just wanting a bigger church. Although God has been doing a work in me because I've realized that more people means more problems. You know, Pub Daddy said more money, more problems, you know, but more people equals more problems as well. And so I have learned and I'm learning to be content. Or we just want to achieve more for the sake of achieving more. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve more. The problem becomes when we get so fixated and our identity is predicated on achievement, on status, on what we produce, on what we have, that it begins to do damage to our souls and even damage to the people around us. Now, you might say, no, I'm content with my house. You might say, I'm content with my car. You might say, I'm content with my job. I'm content with what I have accomplished. And yet there are other areas where we find ourselves discontent. I think about our experiences for an example. I was convicted earlier this week by a quote by the famous author Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was talking about contentment and experiences. And to be content means to be present to the moment, recognizing that you can't be everywhere at the same time, to stay fixed in that moment as a means of producing contentment. And this is what he said. I was so convicted. I don't want to be alone in my conviction. I want you to join me in that. This is what he says. He says, one who is content with what he has or she has and who accepts the fact that he inevitably misses very much in life is far better off than one who has much more but who worries about all he may be missing. We can only get rid of this anxiety by being content to miss something in almost everything we do. He's talking about FOMO back in the day, fear of missing out. Next slide. We cannot master everything, taste everything, understand everything, drain every experience to its last dregs. But if we have the courage to let almost everything else go, we will probably be able to retain the one thing necessary for us, whatever it may be. If we are too eager to have everything, we will almost certainly miss even the one thing we need. This has spoken to me very deeply, especially in a pandemic. Because in a pandemic, we are really limited, aren't we? We are, we are stationed. We are sheltering in place. And because we are so limited, it's very easy to not want to be present to what's happening right where you are and right where I am. I know what it's like to live the fear of missing out. What's everyone else doing? And not be content to be in my home with my family, fully present to them. What am I missing out on? But contentment means not only about stuff, but about experiences as well. Contentment is saying no to everything else so that you can be present in this particular moment. And Paul 
had to learn this the same way we have to learn this. But how do we learn it? How do we learn contentment? How do we get to a place where we learn it in such a way where joy is being produced in us? What I want to present to you is three simple questions to think about and pray through whenever discontentment rises up. Three questions to help us learn contentment. Whenever discontentment comes your way and however form it manifests, the first question I want you to be asking is, what is the story you are telling yourself? Whenever discontentment rises up, and it is often the case, you see someone else with something, you see someone else accomplishing something, you see someone else with more than what you have, what is the story you're telling yourself? And chances are the story you tell yourself is a story we all tell ourselves. And it is very simply, I am not blank enough. You fill in the blank. Whenever discontentment arises, the story we tell ourselves is I am not blank enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not seen enough. I'm not blessed enough. The list goes on and on and on. And so to medicate ourselves from this deep sense of lack, this deep sense of not being enough, we try to save ourselves. We try to justify ourselves. We try to prove ourselves. We try to accomplish and grasp whatever we can so that we don't have to feel this paralyzing effect of not being enough. But this is what I want you to hold on to, that these stories you tell yourselves are rooted in a lie because in Christ you are enough. In Christ you are more than enough. And this is a great spiritual formation question to reflect on. And whenever your not enoughness comes up, remember you are more than enough in Christ Jesus. That's the first question to focus on when discontentment arises. But there's another question I want you to hold on to. It's very simply this. What is the illusion you are believing? And it's often an illusion about other people. You see, we see other people's lives, especially on social media, filtered lives, lives that with, in which people share all the best parts about themselves, and we make conclusions about people based on what we see. And those conclusions are often based on an illusion that that is their entire life. And so we see someone else's nice car, but we don't see their debt. We see someone else's nice house, but we don't see the frustrations associated with it. We see someone else's life on social media, but we don't see the pain when they turn off their phone. And so it's often the case that we are believing an illusion about other people, that everyone's life is great that their dishes don't get dirty, that their kids don't act up, that their breath doesn't stink. I mean, they're just, they're just wonderful. And yet, it's often an illusion that we are believing about other people. And discontentment arises when we allow that illusion to so fixate our, be fixated on it and, and now begin to guide the decisions that we make in the world. But the third question to help us learn contentment is, what are the gifts you need to acknowledge that all of us have received gifts from God that we fail to acknowledge. And if you take a moment this day to begin to recognize the gifts that you have and to praise God for those gifts that you have and to thank God for those gifts that you have, it's one of the ways that we begin to learn 
contentment? Now, these are all helpful questions to be reflecting on to learn contentment, but I want to really focus on what matters most here, particularly in this text. Because in verse 13, Paul talks about a secret that he's learned. The secret of learning contentment. And Paul explains the secret in this way. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What's the secret to contentment? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now this is one of the most misused and misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. And so I'm going to say some things that might uh, upset you a little bit, but here it is anyway. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul is not talking about all things. Because through Christ, listen, I can't dunk a basketball. <laughs> through Christ, I can't play tennis like Serena Williams. Through Christ, there's plenty I cannot do. You see, when Paul makes this statement, He's not making a blanket statement about every aspect of life. It is clear that when Paul says he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength, he's talking about contentment. Now it's interesting that this verse is often used to justify our discontentment. We use this verse to say, I have no limits. We use this verse to say, I can do whatever I want. We use this verse to go beyond the particular limitations that God has put on our path and in our way. And we use a verse on contentment to somehow justify our discontentment. But when Paul talks about, I can do all things through Christ, he's talking about it within the context of being content. And so Paul is basically saying, whether I have little or whether I have a lot, it doesn't matter. Whether I struggle to pay the bills or whether I have enough money in the bank, it doesn't matter. Whether I live in a tiny studio apartment or in a big house, it doesn't matter. Whether I'm stuck in the same role in my job or whether I just got a promotion, it doesn't matter. What matters is that... God is with me and God is strengthening me regardless of what I am facing, regardless of whether, whether it's in my way. And you, so you see Paul, when he talks about contentment, he's talking about the reality of Christ's sufficiency working in him and through him to be content with whatever he has in his life. When Paul talks about contentment, he's taking a word that was popularly used in Greek philosophy and Stoicism. And Stoicism believed that contentment meant self-sufficiency. But Paul takes that word contentment and says, no, 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 no. It's not about self-sufficiency. Contentment comes outside of myself and something that God has done for me and on my behalf. You see, contentment is not about self-sufficiency. Contentment is about Christ's sufficiency. And Paul is able to be content because his life is about Christ. Christ is his life. And Christ has come to rescue us. And the simple secret of Paul is very simply this. If you let Christ be your life, you will be free from the tyranny 
of thinking you always need more. If you let Jesus Christ be your life, you will live with the interior, the spacious freedom inside of you where you don't have to live under the tyranny of consumerism, the tyranny of materialism, the tyranny of meritocracy and believing I have to do all these things to deserve something. You can be interiorly free and internally free if you let Christ be your life. The gospel of the world is very simply this. If you do this, then you will be happy. If you get this, then you will have joy. If you achieve this, then you will experience true happiness. But the gospel of the kingdom is, look what Christ has already done for you. Make Christ your life. And as you do so, you will begin to be free from the compulsion, from the obsession, from the tyranny of thinking I always need more. This is not by power nor by strength, but this is through the power of Christ who gives us the strength to live in this world in contentment. The reality of our lives is very simply this. We find ourselves obsessed, find ourselves living lives of compulsion, living under the bondage of always needing more. And in so doing, we do violence against ourselves and even violence against others. We do violence against our bodies, violence against the stewardship that God has entrusted us with, with money. And we live in this trap that never ceases to end. But Paul essentially says, in Christ, you can do all these things. And these things are referring to living free within the joy of contentment. What are you attaching yourself to today? What's robbing you of joy? What's the lie that you've believed? What's the illusion that's deep, going, deep down in your soul? What are the gifts that you are refusing to recognize? And the power of the Holy Spirit the strength of Jesus Christ is here to have us live in great joy and cultivate contentment in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess on this day that we have so easily lived discontent in this world and in that discontentment we have often made decisions that have harmed us decisions that have harmed others and so Lord we ask that you would give us the strength not to live in illusions or in lies but live in the truth that in you we are enough and we can do all these things through Christ who gives us strength Free us, Lord, from the tyranny of materialism and consumerism. And may we be people marked by contentment and generosity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we close our service today, I want to remind you that we have our prayer room available. And for some of you, you realize you're caught in a trap, an endless cycle where you're wanting more and more and more, not for the sake of wanting more in a healthy sense of a word, but it's destroying you. Maybe you've made some bad financial decisions. Maybe you've gone beyond the limits of your own body. Maybe you've done things that have harmed people around you, haven't been present because you need more. We want to pray for you, that you don't have to be alone in this. And so at the end of our service, we have uh, a virtual prayer room, and we'd love to pray for you. We also have our virtual lobby to meet our pastors, and we'd love to connect with you there as well. But I also want to say, if you came to a place today where you're realizing all the more in my life has not satisfied the deepest longings of my soul, I want to invite you to come to Jesus Christ. There's a, a text that you can send to this phone number. And wherever you're at, maybe you're alone in your home right now, maybe you're surrounded by family, but you sense God is speaking in the deepest part of your soul right now. You've tried another job. You've tried another relationship. You've tried more possessions. You've tried a bigger house. You've tried a nicer car. And nothing seems to fill the deep void in your soul. Why don't you give Jesus Christ a chance? You can very simply text yes to Jesus at that number. And if you text us, one of our pastors or staff would love to follow up with you and help you on this journey if you're sensing God calling you to follow him. If you're saying, I want to surrender to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. I want to receive the forgiveness of sins. I want to receive eternal life. Text that yes to Jesus to this number and we'd love to serve you on your journey. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And wherever you're at, just open your hands in this way. And with your hands in your heart and the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online worship experience in the power of the Holy Spirit, cultivating and nurturing contentment. And may the love of God and the joy of Christ flow in you and through you to the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the joyful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.